Welcome to Renew.org's Real Life Theology Podcast. This is another episode in season four. My name's Jason, and we've been working through the breakout sessions from the 2021 National Gathering. Today, we're going to hear Bobby Harrington introduce Matthew Bates. Matthew Bates has become a real authority on the gospel and has written several books on it, including Renew.org's Real Life Theology series volume called The Gospel Precisely. What is the gospel precisely? What makes it different from the transactional gospel that's so popular today? What about the kingship of Jesus? What does that have to do with the gospel? And why is it so important in understanding the message? Let's sit back and listen in as Matthew Bates unpacks the gospel precisely. Hey, I wanna welcome everyone. Um, in just a second, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Matthew Bates. Uh, I'd like him to, uh, Matt, if you come up here. Uh, let me tell you why this session is uh, so important today. Throughout North American history, we've had several gospels preached. Uh, there's a transactional gospel, which is basically that Jesus died on the cross, and here's the transaction. If you trust Jesus' death, uh, invite him into your heart, then Jesus will complete his side of the transaction and give you death when, or give you eternal life when you die. And it just, it's reductionistic and it's a transaction. There's the gospel of American prosperity, that if you follow Jesus, he will help you to be, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, healthy, wealthy, and wise. And so the question before us is, what is the real gospel? And uh, Matt, Matt Bates uh, has actually um, really established a presence in the scholarly world today, one of the leading authorities on the gospel. And he summarized the biblical teaching in a book called The Gospel Precisely, which is in, it's one of the 13 books in the collection, but it's also an individual book that you can study through. I just heard last night of a church that ordered 700 copies because they're going to take their church through Each of these books has questions at the end of each of the short chapters. So let me just tell you just a little bit about Matt. Um, <clears throat> he started off uh, more in the hard sciences, but then uh, really developed a conviction about scholarship, went to Regent College in, uh, in uh, Vancouver, Canada, correct? Uh, which I also went there too in the 1980s. Well, now I'm really dating myself. But uh, it's a super good school. He uh, earned uh, awards of distinction. Then he did his PhD at Notre Dame, uh, where he again earned awards of distinction. God's really gifted him with a great mind. And uh, I'm just really grateful that coupled with his great mind is a very deep personal allegiance to Jesus as Savior and King. So uh, let me lead us in prayer and turn it over to you, Matt. Kind God, we just pray that for everyone here in person or everyone listening to the recording, that you would bless and guide and lead. That the gospel we teach would be the King Jesus gospel. In his name, amen. Amen. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much um, for loving Jesus, loving the gospel enough to want to be here and to, you know, kind of deepen our understanding, to dive in. 
um, and to try to add nuance to our understanding of the gospel. Um, quick question, um, Bobby or whoever else. We're going to 11.30 in here, is that true? But I should end a little before then. It's an hour session. Is that right? I think it's 45 minutes. 45 minutes, yeah, but then there's a little bit of transition time, I'm, I think. But okay, I'll, I'll aim for that. Um, and I want this to be as useful as possible to you all. Um, so I have, uh, on the one hand, a, a slide you know, presentation that will kind of lead us through the basics of the gospel precisely. But on the other hand, I, I want to make sure there's space for conversation uh, and plenty of chances for you to ask questions as you wish, because that actually might be more fruitful for you than, um, uh, than some of the material I would share, as you might have practical concerns as you're, you're trying to... Um, maybe help your churches shift from a transactional understanding of the gospel to, uh, to something that, um, that I'm convinced aligns a little more closely with what scripture teaches. So, um, yeah, as, as Bobby mentioned, um, uh, the, this talk is based around uh, the gospel precisely, uh, which is uh, one of those uh, Renew books that you just got um, as, as part of that 13 book collection. Um, so you can en enjoy it that way, or it's a standalone as well. Um, let me just make sure this works. There we go. Beautiful. Um, so there's the book right there as the standalone version that this, um, yeah, that this we're attempting to consolidate a little bit here. Um, so uh, we begin just by a discussion of uh, the gospel precisely. Surprisingly good news about Jesus Christ, the King. Uh, that's the title, subtitle here. And I just wanted to tell you a little bit about what was I up to in trying to um, present the gospel in this particular way. First of all, you might ask, why precisely? Um, and that's because of my conviction that we've gotten a little loose and sloppy with the gospel. Uh, and that uh, once everything becomes gospel, gospel doesn't really mean anything anymore. Um, as uh, we're, we're teaching people about like how Jesus forgives, we're like, well, that's gospel. Or about grace, and well, that's gospel. Or, you know, it can kind of multiply. Uh, the Bible seems to uh, restrict the meaning of gospel to something a little narrower than that. But it has a lot of implications for forgiveness, implications for grace. Right? If we add precision to our understanding of the gospel, um, then we're more likely to be able to coach people into a better discipling relationship with King Jesus. Um, why surprisingly, then? Um, as uh, I, I want to stress that this is surprising um, both to us uh, and to them, meaning uh, both to us uh, in the modern world, but also to those who were part of Jesus' day and age. Um, and I think that the surprise is, let's start with them. What was the surprise to those in Jesus' day and age? Um, well, of course, G uh, there was a long-standing expectation that God would one day send a king. This king would come in the line of David. But nobody guessed it would be God's own son, right? That was a surprise to them that they had to come to grips with as, uh, as they processed what it would mean for, in fact, this God to not just be God the Father, but God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Right, as the gospel is what unveils the Trinity for the first time in history clearly for us. We didn't know God was triune. We didn't know that he was three in one until the historical events of the gospel showed that he was three in one. As the Father sent the Son and then they together sent the Holy Spirit. Um, but it's also surprising to us. And that's partly because I think we have gotten ourselves into a twisted knot a bit about what the gospel is. Right, it's a surprise to us because we've come to think that the gospel is maybe the Romans' road, because that's what we were taught, right? That God is righteous, uh, that we've all fallen short of his glory, but good news, you know, God has provided a substitute. Uh, and if we just trust that message to be true, uh, then uh, we uh, are good with God and we get to go to heaven, right? Some version of the Romans' road gospel is what we, most of us at least, were brought up with. 
Uh, the problem is, although many of those things that are, are true as part of a Romans road understanding, uh, whenever we inspect what the Bible says about the gospel, uh, actually the Bible doesn't lead us through a Romans road version in terms of its own presentation of what the gospel is. So we need to get a little more precise. Um, and so it's surprisingly good news in that way, right, or the, the, the surprising part. Uh, but also uh, the surprise, I think, for us, too, is we've been really taught in our uh, North American context uh, that the gospel is not political, right? That Jesus is coming as spiritual king or something like that. Um, the truth of the matter is that that's sort of right, but not quite, as really when Jesus says he's not, you know, um, when, whenever he, he says my kingdom is not of this world, right, some translations put, like it's actually the word act in Greek, which involves source or origin. So the idea is it's not source or origin originated in this world, but that it is actually has bearing on this world. So the truth of the matter is, is that when we come together as a community and we confess Jesus is king and we're doing it together, a new social and political reality emerges in the midst of our gathering. And that's what makes the church. The church is not the church by any other mechanism like if we come together and we say Jesus is Lord or Jesus is King, uh, the Holy Spirit is present and the church is present, right? It's that confession that Jesus is King that actually constitutes the church. So um, whenever we, we think about it not having any kind of social or political reality, it's because maybe we haven't allowed his kingship to, to have the space to rule. So I want to stress that Jesus' kingdom is not... Uh, of this world in the sense that it doesn't have its source or origin there, but it is certainly for our world, right? As we confess him as king, he begins to rule in our midst. So we have to see that the gospel has a social and political vision too, or we've not really understood what the gospel is. All right, uh, and so as, as part of the, the titling of this book, of course, we talk about uh, good news. Uh, why good news? Uh, well, we don't want to lose sight of that. Right, that uh, of, of anything that we could lose sight of, it might be kind of a glum presentation of Jesus uh, as the good news. And uh, you, you kind of see this sometimes with someone who's like a browbeaten, you know, Jesus warrior, but they're kind of embarrassed about what they're doing, so they're kind of like handing out a track, like here's, you know, here's the gospel in this track here, take a track, you know, and they they um, they don't even have a smile on their face. Right, because they're like um, maybe embarrassed to be passing out tracks and they've been convinced by somebody this is a good idea to do. Um, it, what kind of good news is that, right? Uh, if we aren't um, able to uh, yeah, help people to see, no, this is the greatest news that God ever gave us uh, is the gospel. So we don't want to lose sight of the idea that it is good news. And that's actually what the word gospel means from the Greek, right? Euangelion, uh, it means good news. Uh, and then uh, about Jesus Christ the King. Um, I was trying to really emphasize the kingship of Jesus in this book. Um, and uh, and uh, so Jesus Christ, we have to put that in there as people are searching for the gospel of Jesus Christ or searching on Jesus Christ. Uh, the Jesus Christ, the king part's a little redundant. As, uh, as I'm going to emphasize as we go on here, uh, the, the name uh, Jesus, uh, as we append the Christ part, that's not a name. Right? That's a title. Um, and so the Jesus, it says, it's almost like saying Jesus, the king, the king, right? When we say Jesus Christ, the king, uh, but we want to make sure people get that part uh, that he is the king. All right. So um, I'm going to give you a quick tour through um, some of the book here by just introducing you to like kind of the, the structure and the flow of the book. Uh, but um, I'm also going to maybe pause after I do maybe, well, maybe one or two chapters to see if we have some conversation that we want to generate. And then I'll go through. There's five chapters total in the book. Um, so uh, what is the gospel? Um, 
Well, I, 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 first of all, we'll just share a quote with you from Acts 5.42, and embarrassingly, there's a typo in it. Uh, I actually fixed it this morning, but then uh, when we had to export the PDF here, it didn't quite fix it. Uh, but it says, uh, every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease, is what it should say, teaching and gospeling the Christ is Jesus. They did not cease teaching and gospeling the Christ is Jesus. Um, I want to I want to share that with you partly because whenever we look at how the New Testament summarizes the gospel, it's most of the time just the bare claim: the Christ is Jesus. That's all it says. Uh, I, I give you six verses there in Acts where it would echo that claim around the gospel, right? That it's really about Jesus as the Christ. Um, and and so the problem that we have sometimes is we say, well, how is that bare announcement good news? Right? What, about the, what about the cross? What about the resurrection? What about uh, all of that stuff? Isn't that more good news than Jesus is king? Uh, I would say we have to be careful with that, right? Because Jesus is king is the thing that God gives us first, and then we want to think about how through his kingship we receive other benefits. But it never, those benefits never come apart from his kingship. And that's often the mistake we've made as we've been teaching the gospel in a transactional way. Right? It's been about Jesus as the savior. Uh, and then, oh, by the way, he's your Lord, too, so maybe you should, you know, give your life to him if you feel like it. That's sometimes how that's the gospel presented, right? Uh, the truth is, no, he's given us a king, and it's as we respond to his kingship, the benefits of the gospel then flow into our lives. So he's not a savior apart from him being a king uh, as he wins the victory for us. So we have, to, we have to take that kingship business seriously. Along those lines, as I already mentioned, Jesus Christ uh, if you want a quick, tidy way of kind of summarizing it, uh, put this in your brain. Uh, that, that's a claim, not a name. Whenever you see Jesus, Jesus Christ in the Bible, think to yourself, that's a claim, not a name. Uh, and, you'll, and you'll be closer to the truth. And what I mean by that is it's a claim that Jesus has become the Messiah, that he has become the Christ. And that, and that the people who are using that phrase, Jesus Christ, are asserting Jesus, the one who deserves the title of being the Christ. Right? And so if we reduce it to a name, then we, we end up with problems in our theology because we start singing songs like In Christ Alone, and, and we just think that means Jesus. It means Jesus in his capacity as king. Right? And if we don't see that, then we don't see how the benefits flow through his kingship. Right? And we reduce it to a personal relationship uh, between us and a person rather than us as a person who holds a specific office, right? the office of being the king of the universe as he's been installed at the right hand of God. So it's a claim, not a name, Jesus Christ. I like to um, sometimes summarize this by just saying uh, Jesus the Christ as a way of helping um, people to, um, forcing myself and those who are listening to me to grapple with his office, right? If we say Jesus the Christ, and that's actually faithful to the New Testament in terms of the underlying Greek, uh, translating it that way is perfectly acceptable if we say Jesus the Christ. Uh, is a perfectly fine way of dealing with it. Um, so anyway, uh, that might be a trick for you uh, as you're looking to try to help people transition to different ways of thinking about Jesus. Um, so Jesus comes and proclaims the kingdom of God, right? And, uh, and we see uh, that this is connected throughout the New Testament with gospel language. Right? When we first uh, you know, are introduced to the term gospel in Mark, well, we have it in the, in the title, right? At, at the very beginning, uh, you know, gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But then whenever Jesus comes, Jesus is proclaiming the good news of God, the gospel of God. And he says, you know, the, the kingdom of God is drawn near as part of that. So we should see that gospel has to be bound up with king and with kingdom. Um, and, uh, and so that whenever we see this kingdom of God phrase, we should always think about King Jesus. 
right, and that being connected to the gospel. Um, this helps us to bridge between the gospels and Paul's letters. Right? If, we, um, if we're thinking about, okay, well, the gospel is all about the plan of salvation, and we find that in Paul's letters, well, then why is Jesus going out proclaiming the gospel? Right? How does that make sense? Well, to a certain degree, he's proclaiming his, his kingship. Right? He's in the process of becoming king, and as part of that, he's bringing saving benefits. Uh, and then we begin to see that it all makes sense, I hope, at least, uh, that Jesus' saving kingship is what's preached by Paul and also what is preached by Jesus. Uh, because becoming, king, uh, becoming the king or becoming the Christ is a process. Um, and this may be a new way for some of you to think about the idea of Jesus. Um, as we're so attached to the phrase Jesus Christ, uh, we tend to just think of that's who he is. But realize whenever he's first uh, arrives on the scene, he hasn't become the Christ yet in history. So he's been chosen by God before time began to be the Christ, right? But he has to actually become an anointed one in history. Uh, and this happens at his baptism, right? That's when the Spirit comes upon him and he's christened. It uses that language actually in the Greek text to talk about the Spirit's coming upon him. And then Jesus, as he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, describes himself as having uh, the Spirit uh, come upon him to anoint him to preach good news, right? So this anointing language, that's the language of Messiahship, right, or Christ, uh, as uh, it has to do with anointing. So he, become, he, he becomes the anointed one in history at his baptism then. Uh, but then that Messiahship must be tested. Uh, and we would think of the, the testing in the desert or the wilderness. But the most grueling test, of course, uh, being uh, the test of the cross. Right? As he then wins the victory for us and becomes king uh, through uh, the process of the cross. Right? And then is raised from the dead. And then he becomes the Christ in the fullest sense, though, only at his ascension, when he's enthroned at the right hand of God. And that's something I think whenever we've been teaching the gospel that we have missed, that we have to get back into the gospel, because it's clearly part of the gospel in the New Testament. Whenever we've, we've taught the gospel, we might be talking a lot about the cross. Uh, we, might, we might be going beyond that to the resurrection. It's great. Uh, but we have to keep going to that to be enthroned. Right? Because when Jesus is enthroned at the right hand of God, that he becomes son of God in power, and he begins to rule. So one way you can think about it is this, is that Jesus is the eternal king. Right? He's always been uh, the king in the sense that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are always sovereign over history. But he hasn't always been the divine and the human king. Right. He's just the divine king right? Uh, in, in terms of his rule over history until the incarnation and then the enthronement now the divine and the human king, and that changes everything because now we have a human king we can aspire toward. We can now look to his image, and we can seek to be conformed to his glory, and that's part of the process of our transformation. And that helps us to see why then the good news is about the path of discipleship, right? As then we're seeing who the king is, and we're trying to recover an appropriate dominion over creation as we move toward the king. Right? And so uh, his becoming the king of heaven and the earth, uh, the divine and the human king, is critical for our salvation. It helps us to see the logic of the incarnation, how that fits into the gospel. All right, so um, there's three ways to summarize the gospel um, that I think are helpful. Um, and the first is just to, uh, is to cut it to the bare bones. And I think that's okay to do because the New Testament does it in numerous times. We can just say Jesus is the Christ. That's the gospel. Um, we don't need to say anything further unless pressed in, in, in certain circumstances. I like to qualify that just slightly so that the intentions are clearer, so that people get that this king does something for us. We could say he's Jesus the saving king, or he's Jesus the liberating king, or he's Jesus the healing king, 
uh, I think there's different ways in which we could talk about how we might qualify his kingship. What we need to stress as part of that, though, is that, is that he's doing something for us that's a process, right? That he's setting us free and so that we can move into the freedom that belongs to the sons and daughters of God. He's bringing healing to us so that we have full health, right, uh, in the sense of our spiritual well-being before God and before others. Uh, he's, he's rescuing us from our predicament, but rescuing us for purposes, right, as he saved us for specific purposes. So one way is to just say Jesus is the saving king or something like that. Um, we can go to a more expanded version of the gospel, what I call the gospel in ten parts, uh, and that really traces the narrative of Jesus' life. If we look really carefully at what the New Testament teaches about Jesus, and I can't lead you through all that material here, um, all, there, there are ten statements that uh, show up repeatedly in the New Testament as part of the gospel. Um, so I identify these as uh, the core gospel. And those ten events would involve, first of all, the Father sending the Son. Uh, and then the Son takes on human flesh in the line of David. So the incarnation, but the incarnation specifically as a fulfillment of the promises God made to David. And that's, all, that's important, right, because that sets up the royal trajectory of the gospel. It reminds us, this is about a king, right? When, it's, when this, this person is incarnated or, or, or takes on human flesh into the line of David. Um, and then uh, after uh, taking on human flesh, obviously Jesus lives a life, right? But he dies on the cross for our sins. And this is uh, something that accords with the Old Testament. So this reminds us this is not like a new plan in history. This is something God has been orchestrating all along the way, right? And it's the fulfillment of promises. Uh, and then he's buried. And then on the third day, he's raised from the dead, also in accordance with the scriptures. And then after that, he's enthroned. He's, oh, excuse me, we missed one. He's seen by witnesses. Uh, that's something that's mentioned in our text about, uh, about Jesus and, and it confirms right, the reality of his resurrection, that witnesses saw him. Uh, and then he's enthroned at the right hand of God. Uh, and uh, and uh, that's where he becomes the Christ in the fullest sense, that he now has the full authority of the Father to rule uh, heaven and earth. Uh, and then uh, he will come again as judge, right? So we have uh, that kind of uh, ten-part outline uh, that I think uh, consolidates what the New Testament teaches about the gospel. But the important thing to see would be the framework of the whole of that is that Jesus is the Christ. It's the story about how he became the Christ, right? And the story about what he will do as the Christ. Uh, and then as part of that story, also the, the, uh, the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit, right? As part of the benefits of the gospel. So um, that would be part of the 10-part sequence, too. Um, and so the sending of the Holy Spirit uh, is key, too. So anyway, another way of summarizing it then would be to capitalize on that Trinitarian framework and to say uh, we could also talk about the gospel as that which shows us who God is and say that the gospel is about the Father who sent the Son, and the Son does a whole variety of things, right? So that then the Father and the Son can send the Spirit uh, and so that we can enjoy the benefits of salvation. So we can, we can move it quickly into a kind of a Trinitarian key as well. And that's very faithful to, uh, to Scripture. All right, so those are three ways to, to, uh, to summarize the gospel. Um, let, me, uh, let me move to chapter two then. Uh, why do we need royal good news? And then I'll give it a chance for you to ask questions or um, push back or what, anything you want to do to create a good conversation here. Um, so why do we need royal good news is chapter two. Um, and uh, the first answer is the one uh, that is the most important and I think um, the most obvious answer perhaps in some ways. But because of our skewed teachings about the gospel uh, that have seen it as transactional and mainly trusting that like the atonement works, right, and that that's effective for us. Uh, because of those skewed understandings of, of what the center of the gospel is or of its climax, 
we haven't sometimes noticed that really the main good news is that we needed a king, right? That God gives us exactly what we need because we're horrible kings over our own lives, right? Uh, you and I, whenever we try to take charge, whenever we exercise, uh, as Bobby and I were talking about the other day, self-rule uh, was a term he liked to use. I think it's a great term, right? Uh, whenever we exercise self-rule, uh, then we, um, we find that uh, things don't go very well in life. Um, so we need a king because the king shows us the best way to live for ourselves and for other people. I'll also say that uh, we need royal good news also because salvation is not, uh, is, is not just from our sins, but salvation is also for a purpose. So salvation is for, not just from. And I think that's a really important to recover as we, as we, as we teach the gospel to other people. Um, it's so often been taught as a get-out-of-hell free card or something along those those lines, and the logic of the story doesn't make much sense to people as they hear it. They're like, okay, like, um, God made creation perfect, and then we sinned, and so, like, God has to punish us, okay, because he's righteous, uh, but, like, God, because of his weird logic, allows a substitute, so I guess Jesus is my substitute, and if I just trust that, then I'm saved. Um, because we've been taught that as the gospel, we don't really see human purpose as part of it. Like, why would God want to rescue us? Um, well, it's because God created us for a purpose, right? That we have to take more of a God-centered view of the gospel and less a, human, less a human-centered view. A human-centered view of the gospel says, well, it's all about me and what I can get out of it, right? It's all about, like, uh, okay, like, I have this penalty that's against me, and, like, what can I get out of it? Well, maybe I can get heaven if I trust the atonement. Um, I, I, I take a God-centered view, right? Like, what's God trying to do in creation? Like, he wants it to be governed properly so it receives his glory. So he creates us in his image so that we then can go out and we can, we, can, we can bear his glory out to creation. And so then God can receive appropriate glory back. So that God is glorified through his creation as humans exercise proper stewardship over it. And then God receives the fullest glory. Um, and so uh, from a God-centered view, what's gone wrong is that creation is not receiving the glory that it needs. Right? Humans aren't doing their job. They're not spreading the glory of God to creation, uh, and we're not acting as his image bearers. So we need to see that salvation is also not just rescue from sins in the sense that, we, we, you know, that there's a penalty. Well, there is that. But it's also because God needs us to do something. God needs us to be able to run creation on his behalf so that creation experiences the glory that it needs to receive. Um, and so we have an important human role to play. Like, we have to become kings and queens under the leadership of King Jesus so we can exercise royal stewardship over creation. And if we miss that, we don't understand the logic of the gospel. All right, so we're created to bear God's image and glory. Um, we was talking about the, like, sin, and we, we get right down to it. I've already said, like, well, self-rule is a good way of summarizing what sin's all about. Uh, we go all the way back to the garden. Um, one thing I always point out as I'm talking to uh, both my students and to whoever about this material is that the tree is a really weird tree, right? Uh, whenever Adam and Eve are presented this tree, this is not an apple tree, uh, contrary to popular belief, uh, nor is it a peach tree. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's a very peculiar tree. I mean, how many of you have been walking through an orchard and you're like, ah, oh, there's an apple tree, there's a peach tree. Oh, look, and there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? That's a strange tree. We should, we should pay attention to that tree. Um, and the reason why is because our problem is that we want to take moral prerogatives onto ourselves, right? That we want to define good and evil for ourselves. We don't want to listen to what God says about good and evil. 
We want the authority to decide, no, um, I know what you say, God, but I want to do it my way, and I know what's good and evil for myself better than you know. Uh, and so that's really what sin is all about, and that's why I think self-rule is a good way of capturing it in one quick phrase. But it's self-rule, especially with regard to what is right and wrong in the universe. And if you look at progressive Christianity, so much of the problem is right, that uh, there's a, a, a decision, no, we as humans actually, we know what's right and wrong, uh, and we're going to work out uh, our own understandings of justice within that framework without paying sufficient attention to what, what does God actually say? about what's right and wrong. Um, that's, the, that's a big part of the problem, right? Is that there's a failure to attend uh, to what God says about what is right and wrong. All right, the result of all this is, of course, we end up with a, a mangled image, right? As we all, every single one of us, have stood in the garden. We have all seen the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We have all plucked the fruit. We've all eaten it. That means we've all transgressed against God. And so we find ourselves in a situation where we merit sin and death. But the situation is worse because our, our image-bearing capacity has become distorted, right? We, we now have a mangled image. We still are made in the image of God, but think about that image getting twisted, right? Uh, that we don't, like, uh, the, the, the created order needs God's glory, and you need to be able to see God's glory in me, and I need to see it in you, but it's obscure. It's been blocked. It's like it may be there a little bit, but it's, 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 it's hidden and twisted as it comes forth to me. So then my glory is never recharged by encountering the glory of God in you and vice versa. So we end up kind of falling into a downward spiral uh, because we don't have access to the glory of God. And that's why we need the recovery of true worship. Right? As we see that God sends Jesus, and Jesus is fully in God's image and fully bears the glory, it's as we look at his glory that our own glory gets recharged as we're transformed and then uh, transformation ensues for those around us as they can now see the glory of God through me, right? And, and that's partly how the process of disciple-making works. We, have, we need one another in the church, partly because we need to have the glory of God refreshed in ourselves and in one another through a communal process, right? We have to see the glory of God in one another and, and be lifted up together on an upward spiral of glory. I love that. An upward spiral of glory. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Matthew Bates unpack the gospel. I hope you feel more equipped to discuss it with others and can glorify God better through your understanding. Thanks for joining another episode of Renew.org's Network Podcast. I'm Jason. We'll see you next time.